when we come to the event in Jesus' life, one that is very much familiar to us, I'm sure to all of us, even as we were little children, Jesus walking on the water. So if you would turn to Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52. Listen carefully to the holy, infallible word of God. Chapter 6, verses 45 through 52. Immediately made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to the Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. And they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Let's pray. The Lord of creation is before us today in this text. We ask, O Lord, that we would not be passed by, but that we ourselves would see the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And may we know it. Know him in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Jesus walked on water. Can you? Humans can swim on top of the water. (laughs) Some humans can float on top of the water. Some in this congregation can use skis to move across the water or get on a boat, excuse me, or get on a board and take a ride on top of the water. But no one can just stroll out and take a nice casual walk 
on water. Our Savior can do that. But this revelatory event in the life of our Savior is not a casual walk on water, is it? It is not a picture of see what I can do. <laughs> of course not. Mark is continuing to inform us about the profound identity of Jesus. You remember, do you not? Who is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Back in chapter 4, verse 41. Has Jesus' almighty power, authority, and dominion over the creation registered upon the hearts of his disciples? Has it registered upon every heart reading this particular gospel? The gospel of God. The disciples are still wrestling with who this Jesus figure is, whom they are following. You see, congregation, you can follow Jesus. You can be sent out to proclaim the gospel, cast out demons, heal the sick, and still have no true understanding of who Jesus is. I hope that you are not missing that point in Mark's inspired narrative. Well, these two points, first, Jesus' power over creation, and secondly, the posture of the disciples will be the focus of our message this morning. But as we will eventually accent these two themes, some interesting nuances in the narrative are important to pick up on in the continuing flow of Mark's gospel. After we are told that those who partook in the feeding of the 5,000 were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish, Jesus immediately, if you look at our text, there's that key word for Mark once again. Jesus immediately made, compelled his disciples to get into a boat and go before him to Bethsaida as he dismissed and released the crowd who had enjoyed his banquet meal. Why such quick and decisive action of control here by Jesus. Well, Mark does not tell us why Jesus is acting so rapidly here, but scholars do agree. We are assisted by John's narrative about the feeding of the 5,000. As John tells us that the crowd got carried away and wanted to make him king as a possible way that they wanted to institute an insurrection. 
John chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. Although Mark does not tell us about this aspect that the crowd wanted to make Jesus king in an earthly sense, Mark does provide an interesting statement that makes an interesting inference in the flow of his gospel. Notice where Jesus sends his disciples to Bethsaida, to Bethsaida, the territory of where Herod Philip ruled, not Herod Antipas, his brother. Jesus refuses to be king in the territory where Herod Antipas ruled, who had John the Baptist beheaded. And furthermore, to clearly make this point, he refuses to be their warrior Messiah, and he sends his disciples to the territory of Herod Philip. And what does Jesus do to underline the point? as to who he is and why he has come into the creation. He leaves the crowd and he went up on the mountain to pray. To pray. Yes, the Lord of the entire creation is refusing to be an earthly king to counter the one who gruesomely beheaded the last Old Testament prophet and the forerunner of the messianic kingdom of God. Are you saying to yourself in this context, where is earthly justice in Christ's kingdom? If this is the question on your mind, you need to be asking a deeper question. Do you understand the true justice of Christ's kingdom in the eternal realm? The eternal realm. Well, Jesus withdraws to pray. Mark records three times that Jesus withdraws to pray in his gospel. Chapter 1, verse 35. Our text here this morning, 646 and 1432. The three references provide clear insight as to how Mark views the situation of prayer in the life of our Savior. In each case, Jesus departs to pray by himself. His departure resembles his departure into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. 
in that wilderness theme back in chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. If you remember in that case, in the temptation, we're told in Mark's narrative that angels came and ministered to him. But now in this situation, when he goes into this wilderness theme, the wilderness theme is consummated by the aspect of Jesus entering into prayer. Entering into prayer. In two of his incidents of prayer, Jesus is responding to the enthusiasm and excitement of the crowd. He doesn't pursue the crowd. He withdraws from the crowd to pray. So first is the excitement surrounding the initial activity of his ministry in Capernaum, casting out the unclean spirit, the authority of his teaching in the healing of Peter's mother-in-law in chapter 1, verse 35. The second incident, which is our text this, in our text this morning, is the outburst of the crowd after the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus withdraws to spend a long period in prayer to affirm and continue to anchor, please listen, anchor his obedience to his Father in heaven. The crowd operates as a type of temptation to him. Come on. Start an insurrection against earthly governments. There's a temptation underlining this. But Jesus, in prayer, renews his commitment to the plan ordained by his heavenly Father to go to the cross to shed his priestly and sacrificial blood for un clean sinners. This understanding of prayer in the life of Jesus comes all together in the third, in the third occasion a prayer that Mark recalls and gives to us. He prays in solitude. In fact, the third is the clue to how to understand the first two situations of his prayer. The third is his prayer in Gethsemane in chapter 14, verse 32. We know the key verse of Jesus' submission to his father and he is, as he is about to go to the cross, in this temptation of his obedience to his father, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Yes, looking back to the previous two occasions of his prayer, Jesus must not fall prey to the enthusiasm and amazements of the crowd and fall into the pursuit of earthly glory. Satan would love 
Satan would love him to fall prey to the crowds because if he would do so, the whole plan of redemption for the church and the termination of sin would go out of the window and Satan would be victorious. No. Mark is mapping out for us that Jesus stays true to his identity. He remains faithful to the will of his Father and his obedient path to the cross for our redemption's sake. And prayer is one of the main activities that Jesus performs to make sure he remains on the path, the glorious path of substitutionary atonement for his sheep, for his church. Well, (laughs) as Jesus is on the mountain in prayer, The disciples, by Jesus' command, are in a boat going towards Bethsaida. Our text is the second boat incident that Mark records. But this time, Jesus remains on the land while the disciples are in the boat. You recall in the previous situation, Jesus was on the boat and he was sleeping when the storm came up. Well, in this second incident, as the Lord, who is over land and sea, peers out on the sea, Jesus saw that they were struggling. They were struggling to make any headway against the wind that was blowing against them. The picture here is not that the disciples are in danger for their lives, as we saw in the previous story at sea. Rather, on this occasion, they are having a very difficult time making progress at at the expense of their own physical pain and discomfort. You can only imagine the difficulty of paddling against the force of this strong wind. Jesus saw their difficulty. The difficulty of depending upon their own strength. And he had compassion upon them. Yes, Jesus freely and graciously comes to rescue them from their present challenge and the hostile force of nature. But how does he come? Are you ready? (laughs) Of course, you all know. (laughs) How does he come? Jesus comes to them walking on the surface of the water. This is not a simple stroll. This is not a simple stroll to shock or surprise the disciples. 
Yes, as they see him walking on the sea, they cry out. The Greek word here has the meaning that they screamed. (laughs) They shouted aloud in horror, terrified that they had seen, what does the text say? That they have seen a ghost. A ghost. After all, People don't see someone walking on the sea every day. (laughs) However, Jesus' action in this event has profound redemptive significance in terms of the historical revelation of God. Grasp, grasp the importance of the last phrase In verse 48, you do not want to miss this this morning. He meant to pass by them. He meant to pass by them. Remember, (laughs) we are in the midst of Mark's wilderness theme in our passage, the concept of withdrawal with respect to Christ. Christ going up into the mountain alone is like Moses who went up into Mount Sinai alone. Exodus 19.20, Exodus 24.15-18, Exodus 34 verse 2. Numerous times, Moses goes up into the mountain alone. But in Exodus 33, 17 through 23, we have the incredible event when the glory of God passes by Moses. Since Moses as sinner cannot look upon the glory of God or else he will die. God places Moses, you know it, in the cleft of the rock and covers Moses with his hand until he passes. Once God passes, the Lord will take away his hand and Moses will only see God's back and not the glory that shines from his face. The context of this event in Exodus is that God's presence will go with Moses and his people. Now fast forward to a prophecy that is found in Amos. Amos 7, 8 and 8, 2. Two times God tells Amos that the day is coming when he will not pass by Israel as he considers their sin. The church of Jesus Christ grasped the incredible revelation in this event. The one greater than Moses is here. In fact, the presence of God himself, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has arrived upon the landscape of the creation. The one who owns both the land and the sea is now here. Beyond Moses in the wilderness, 
who found favor with God, Jesus clearly emerges from his baptism in the wilderness with a heavenly pronouncement of the pleasing favor of his heavenly father. And now, the glory of the presence of God has come supernaturally walking upon the water towards the disciples. And he is about to pass them by. The revelation that Moses could not see, they are about to see in the incarnate Son of God, Jesus. But wait a second. Wait a second. (laughs) As Jesus is about to pass them by, Jesus is interrupted by their terrified cry, thinking that he is a ghost. The thought of Jesus being a ghost instead of the glory of the incarnate Son of God interrupts Jesus' act of finalizing his passing by the disciples. Do not miss the phrase, he meant to pass by them. The verb here is in the, for meant is in the imperfect, meaning that there is no assessment of action being completed. Jesus never finished passing by them as the revelation of the glory of the incarnate Son of God. Why? Because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. Because they did not recognize his identity. Who do they call him? A ghost. A ghost. That's not Jesus. At this point in the lives of these 12 sons of Israel, the prophecy in Amos, in Amos, still applies in the person of Jesus. The presence of God as the Son of God is not passing them by. But at the same time right now, as you're looking at the text, don't miss the grace, the patience of Jesus as he reveals his supernatural power of his supernatural person. He immediately reacts to their cry of false identity and claims the presence of his own identity with the emphatic statement, take heart, it is I. It is I. Verse 15. Be confident, be assured, 
that, the I am who I am is present in your midst. Going back to Exodus 3.14. The angel of the Lord who appeared to Moses in a flame out of a bush is now present in flesh and blood before these disciples invoking his own name and presence as the great I am. In light of the I am coming to the disciples in what? Their condition of painful agony to make their way to Bethsaida against strong winds. The I am God over land and sea commands them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Herein, Jesus is in control, exercising his dominance over wind and sea. He gets into the boat with his disciples, with his children, the ordained apostles of his church, and the wind ceased. The wind ceased. The disciples' response, they were astonished. Verse 51. Why? (laughs) Why are they astonished? Have they not witnessed previously that Jesus has control over the wind and the sea? Peace be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. Chapter 4 verse 39. They, in the previous situation, raised the question, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Do they not know yet? Congregation, follow where Mark is taking us concerning the disciples in this text. Do they know yet who this person is? Is Jesus' word still relevant? That he asked the disciples in the previous action at sea, back in chapter 4, verse 40, have you still no faith? Is that now relevant here? What did you just see with your own eyes? Did you not just witness and see with your own eyes the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and only two fish? Why are you astounded as to what Jesus just did? 
walking on the water. You see, congregation, why verse 52 appears in this context. You may think, this is odd at this point. This is odd at this point. Mark comments in verse 52 that they did not understand the miracle of the 5,000, the loaves. The miracle of the loaves should have given them no astonishment about Jesus now walking on the sea. That's why Mark places this verse at this point. And the reason they do not have eyes to see and to understand Jesus walking on the sea is because they still have no faith And as Mark says, at this point, in terms of them understanding the identity of Jesus Christ, there in verse 52, Mark is very clear. Their hearts are hardened. Amos' words of prophecy apply to them. It's as if if they are acting like Pharaoh. Who witnessed the mighty acts of God and his heart was hardened. Their own Unbelief interrupted the glory of the incarnate Christ passing by them. I ask you this morning, seriously, let us all look into our heart. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Do you have the sovereign almighty Christ over the entire creation, the entire creation order in your heart? May every person here this morning join in the confession of John with your own and with our own lips and conviction of our own hearts with these words. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we, is this you? 
we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full, full of grace and glory. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, let each heart by thy spirit understand the the Christ who comes in grace into the painful aspects of our own lives to release unto him unto us himself in mercy compassion that he has shown himself as the Holy Son of God, full of grace and truth and glory. Let none of us by thy spirit to let Jesus pass us by. We need him in our lives each and every day. In Christ's name, amen.